Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emma Gunnar-Wardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. I'm so glad to be welcoming Venetia Lamana onto the podcast. She is a fellow podcaster and also, as she says on her Instagram, a recovering hypocrite and climate activist on a mission to slow fast fashion. And this is why I'm so glad to have been able to spend some time with her sit down and chat because fast fashion is something I hear of, but um, it didn't really know the full extent of, if I'm completely honest. It's one of those things that weirdly considering how many ads I'm sure you are subjected to, as am I, of prompts to go shopping in sales or buy new things, I didn't realise quite how much information was out there. It's all, it's all there. And actually, the issue of fast fashion is pretty is pretty serious. And I met Venetia at a book launch. It was Wrong and Chatterjee's book launch recently. And we got chatting. And it's something that she knows so much more about. She has spoken to 
some really impressive and knowledgeable people on the subject on her own podcast, talking taste buds such as uh, Livia Firth and also Lucy Siegel, who are mentioned in this podcast too. And I said, look, would you would you mind coming on? Because I feel really uneducated on this subject and I feel that that means that I'm contributing to it. Well, I know I must be. And my ignorance is sitting really awkwardly with me and uncomfortably with me. And she very graciously said, I would love to come on and chat. But Venetia, as well as talking about fast fashion and about what that really means, and really there are simple things you can do to not contribute in the way that maybe you are unwittingly. We also talk about some really lovely things. For example, she tells me about her digital detoxing and how it's really improved her life. Uh, We talk about health, mental health and mental wellness, meditation. It was just a really lovely conversation. And it was one of those ones that as a podcaster, you come away from conversations and you just feel, oh, I'm so glad that we captured that on tape. It was as much as Venetia was really sharing her knowledge and all of the work she's done towards slowing down fast fashion. And I felt like I really learned. It was also just two people getting to know each other. And I can't wait to um, take her out for coffee soon and just uh, catch up more because uh, she's really fascinating, really interesting. And as you'll hear, very warm and open. So I'm going to get straight into the conversation. But I will will just remind you that I will be putting the links to Venetia and also her brilliant podcast, Talking Taste Buds, uh, in the show notes. And also there are some there's a documentary and there are some books that are mentioned in the podcast. And obviously those links can be found in the show notes too. But making... Her first appearance on the Emma Gunn show, hopefully it's not her last, it's Venetia LaManna. Venetia LaManna, LaManna, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you for having me. And for welcoming me me into your home. And I was just saying, listeners, that um, uh, Venetia is flanked by beautiful, beautiful plants. And I've become a little bit obsessed with greenery in my own home. But they're so good for you, aren't they? They are. There are so many benefits having plants in your space. And for us, we don't have a chance to have a garden in London. So it's all about kind of bringing the outside in. And yeah, they're just really good at, um, they're really good for mental health. Um, We talk to them, we treat them like our children. And they're also just, I I kind of prefer to have plants now than flowers just because they last a lot longer. Mm. Um, I mean, we're going to try and have all of these guys for life and so far, so good. (laughs) I I did a dash to the garden centre on the weekend and I bought a few little plants and I put them in the boot of my car and I realised, you know, you said about we talk to them. As I closed the boot, I actually said, it won't be too long and I won't, I'll try not to make it too bumpy. And I just thought, this is, something's happened here. I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah, I, we do the same. And the trick with houseplants is not to water them too often. Once a week, right? Yeah, once a week. I mean, we were away for, at Christmas for two weeks. I got back and all the plants were just blooming. And I was like, all right, guys, you prefer it when we're not here. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Okay, yeah. I tried to do them Monday morning. Yeah, that's nice. Go around a little routine. Yeah, lovely. But anyway, um, I've invited you on the show because we met recently at Rongan Chatterjee's book launch. Which I was very embarrassingly late to, which was horrible. (laughs) Were you? Oh my gosh, yeah, I turned up like halfway through his talk (laughs) and there was a room of very, very wonderful, influential people and I was like, hiya, (laughs) it's me. (laughs) Not ideal. Whereas I, on the other hand, got there so early that I actually circled the block three times so that I didn't get there before him. 
<laughs> Amazing. I hate rush hours. So I'm like, I'm just going to get there super early and I'll just circle the block and get some steps in. That was a good decision. Um, and we got chatting. We were over in the corner, I think, with Amelia Freer. Mm. And um, you were talking about something that you were um, researching or something. And I remember just catching on to the idea of fast fashion. And it's a subject that you know a lot about and then started to unpick some of the interviews that you've done, some of the podcasts that you've done about it. And it's definitely a subject I would really like to find out more about because um, the documentary you mentioned to me recently, which is called The True Cost, Mm -hmm. just makes me realise how complicit I am in something quite awful. Yeah, it's... uh... The fast fashion industry is a really, really scary one. So, like you, I was very complicit in it. Mm. I started my career in TV and I fell into presenting. And when I was presenting, I was doing a show four days a week and I never wore the same thing twice. And I did that show for a year. And I just wanted newness. And this is obviously all tied in with social media. You know, at the time that I was... Um, I, st- I started presenting. It was all about outfit of the days and and constant newness. And um, it wasn't until I started sharing my life a bit online and on YouTube, I was talking about how I was vegan and the kind of food that I was eating as a vegan. Uh, that one of my subscribers said, "It's great that you're uh, vegan in the way you eat, but you're wearing a lot of fast fashion. It would be great to see some kind of." consistency here Mm. and at first I was really upset and you know it's horrible to be kind of called out for something Mm. on the internet and then I it's not a great feeling it's never good it's (laughs) never good but I like to think that it can be really really helpful and I think if you're someone if you notice someone doing something online that you're not altogether okay with uh, and you find it quite jarring I think it is actually really helpful to send the person a private message Mm. and uh, write with compassion and kindness Mm. and say hey listen love everything you do but this feels a bit jarring and here's why so I then had some extra time on my hands one Christmas I'd gone through a big breakup and I was looking to make some changes I think that often happens when you break up with someone you're like right it's time to get back to to me it's time to find my own identity again it's better than a directional haircut Benicia (laughs) that is very true luckily I didn't cut off my locks um and that doesn't suit me and um yeah I did some did some research and I actually started by watching the true cost documentary that you mentioned Mm -hmm. on Netflix and I just couldn't believe what I had seen. And I should say as well that I'm quite an all or nothing person. Um, I'm vegan and I, I think that's quite a quite an all or nothing thing. And I try and be as plastic free as I possibly can. Like I like really doing things all the way. Mm. And so when I kind of really took the time, because obviously fast fashion is an issue had come up before, but when I really t- took the time to research it and to watch documentaries and to learn more about it, I just decided I can't, I can't mm. go back. I've really got to change my habits. And I just found it so refreshing because I couldn't keep up with the newness on I was seeing on social media. I couldn't mm. do it. Mm. I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a big enough following that I was getting gifts from PRs all the time. I didn't feel, I didn't have the money that I could go shopping all of the time. 
so I started just re-wearing outfits that I already had and I started Mm -hmm. talking about that and I started encouraging people to do the same and I started a hashtag called uh, triple OTD which is old outfit of the day and it's kind of an FU to Mm -hmm. outfit of the day and um, it just kind of went from there really I think it was it's all timing right it was the same time that uh, minimalism was trending and that Marie Kondo was kind of decluttering our wardrobes and all of our stuff and rolling up our socks (laughs) that too and I think there was just kind of an urge at least for for me and I think a lot of other people to just be okay with having less Mm -hmm. and at a time when the climate is in a really disastrous state one of the best ways to solve the climate crisis is just to have less Mm -hmm. so um yeah everything kind of aligned and that's how things started and so with fast fashion, um, what's kind of a, a, if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, well, I buy clothes and I don't have a lot of money to spend, so I buy on the high street um, and I love a buy one for, get one free or whatever it might be. What, um, where does fast fashion live? Like, how would someone even know if they were contributing to it? Okay, so the best way that you can, and I actually just want to start by saying, I'm really aware of my privilege as someone with the time and the money to think about this stuff. Mm. And I just, I'm very aware of that. So it's, I I have, I have this privilege and this access to be able to shop in the way that I do. And I Mm. really am aware of that. But I do think there are all, there are small things that we can all be doing to be a bit more conscious when it comes to our shopping habits. And the best way to find out whether or not you're kind of contributing to the fast fashion problem when you go into a store how much product is in that store or if you shop online look on the website how much product is on that website Mm. and unfortunately it tends to be the way that if that product is cheap it means someone somewhere is paying Mm -hmm. and the fast fashion brands especially the big ones at the moment who are just raking it in like Mm. boohoo and pretty little thing and misguided these brands are making so much money they are not slowing in any way they make it very tricky for us as consumers to know whether or not they're doing a good thing Mm. we're seeing a lot of greenwashing at the moment which is basically when a brand says that they're doing something good something green something ethical but really it's not making up for all the harm that they're doing that's really interesting because I had a, a listener actually contact me and talk about greenwashing and like and I said oh you'll be really glad I'm recording with someone tomorrow who's going to sort this out but actually perhaps could we put into context actually what is in terms of fast fashion when you say someone's paying mm. who's paying and because I think it's really that chain isn't it back from the storefront whether that's a digital one or a physical one back to the person who actually manufactures the clothes pretty much isn't it yeah definitely so there's a chain of events that leads the item of clothing that you're looking at either online or in store that got that piece of clothing there so for example if you are in zara that piece of clothing would have been one of about a hundred clothes that was made in one minute in a factory somewhere like china or bangladesh i think it's honestly in one factory i think it's about 100 pieces of clothing a minute and there are i mean a lot of brands say they audit these um these factories but when the uh 
chain of events is as extensive as it is for these brands it's so hard to know and you just hear and read about so many horrific working conditions that these people face you know there was the rana plaza Mm. um crash and disaster that happened that they talk about in the true cost documentary but this kind of thing happens quite frequently it only happened i think a couple of months ago at another fast fashion factory i think it was for forever 21 um but you hear that these people unfortunately do not have proper lighting to work under they don't have proper health and safety they don't necessarily have masks or gloves if they're working with toxic and harmful yarns and sometimes they don't even have time to go to the loo because obviously time is money in fast fashion so they have to wear nappies it is really really extreme and as a consumer it's very very hard to know when a brand is as big as someone like h&m is Mm. to know whether or not you're you know you're supporting a sweatshop effectively Mm. so that you've got the ethical factor in terms of people but then you've also got the impact on the planet because if you look at something like a pair of jeans it takes seven thousand liters of water to make one pair of jeans jeans are made of cotton cotton is incredibly thirsty Mm. so seven thousand liters of water is the same amount of water that we as an individual would drink over five years so that is incredibly intensive on the planet and then once the jeans have been made they have to be shipped to wherever to then be sold so you've got shipping packaging all of these processes which make them so labor intensive Mm. and another thing that i really really struggled with because i used to shop a lot online asos was just i think i basically did a degree in my scrolling through asos when i was at university and and up until a couple of years ago really and the the clothing on there is generally not expensive and I know they're doing some green things at the moment, but let's just use them as, as an example. When you order something that's inexpensive from ASOS online and it arrives at your front door in plastic, wrapped in more plastic, and so you try it on, it gets a bit scrumpled, potentially you get a lipstick stain on it or a foundation stain on it, and then you decide it's not right. Mm. Once you put it back in that fabric and send it back, it's not being steamed, ironed, stain removed and hung back on the hunger t- and put back on the website to be sold. It's much cheaper for them to throw it away. What? And one of the issues with fast fashion is it's cheaper for brands to throw things away and incinerate them. So, for example, some high street brands also want to kind of retain their integrity on the product that they're producing so instead of for a product that for example doesn't get sold in the sale instead of trying to resell that i don't know at an outlet store or making sure that it gets sold they'll just cut it up or throw it away or burn it because they don't want to run the risk of that product being you know i don't i and actually i i I shouldn't put too much of the onus on the high street because this is what burberry did a couple of years ago burberry ended up i think it was maybe even 18 months ago burberry ended up incinerating burning so much stock because they didn't want it to go into outlet stores and sold be sold really cheaply for a customer who wouldn't necessarily be able to afford it so it's really really out of whack and actually just to kind of give you a sense of the scale because i always talk about this but i think we need to in order to understand fast fashion and our consumption habits we really need to understand and have a kind of visual of how much we're producing so there are currently seven billion people on the planet 
yet we produce between 80 and 100 billion pieces of clothing every single year which is just a terrifying stat right Mm. so it's as much as it is for me is it's so much about the ethical impact and also the environmental impact but it's also stuff it's Mm. just i that's kind of i i went to i was i was lucky enough to go to india um last year to learn about the plastic uh pollution and crisis over there and while i was there i also i went to a waste management site and saw a lot of textile waste and it was the thing that kind of basically brought the most tears to my eyes because I just saw piles and piles and piles of textile waste and as someone who has consumed a lot of fashion in my life Mm. I think it just became very real for me and you know these clothing these textiles had been burnt a lot of them Mm. um and just to see the scale and this wasn't even a, a landfill site I just found so so overwhelming so for me it's very helpful to think about in terms of scale and in terms of waste but if you're someone who you know really cares about people and looking after people um as i am as well but if if that's something that really gets you then maybe think about the women Mm. making your clothes something i always think about because i had a podcast episode with an amazing woman called swati deepak if you're buying a t-shirt from a fast fashion brand that says feminist Mm. actually by buying that t-shirt you're doing something that's really not very feminist at all because chances are the woman who made that piece of clothing isn't getting paid a living wage it's so shocking it is yeah it is and yet why is it that um i'm a journalist and yet it's sitting in front of you that's the first time that i'm hearing this so clearly and yes i could have found that documentary myself But what I'm saying is I'm sure many people are listening thinking, well, they've heard the term fast fashion and they think that maybe, I mean, you mentioned H&M, they've got a conscious collection. So that might make me think, oh, well, I can shop at H&M because they're they're actually doing something really good because they're conscious. But I don't know what that means. And Mm. it's a little bit like wellness and uh, all of these other sort of shticks. You sort of wrap them up in something that sounds good, but actually it isn't actually even disguising what's still going on it's sort of hiding in plain sight but this all of this information is available yes but unfortunately you still have to dig around for it a little bit and you have to know a little bit to and have some time to look into it so I I always make the comparison with um food I'm not gluten-free I'm not celiac but I remember when gluten-free was trending I was like great gluten-free I'll have it all (laughs) and it's similar with conscious collections and zero lines when it comes to fashion great this is eco-friendly this is organic i'll have it all Mm. and um the thing is with someone something like h&m's conscious collection is that i think it makes up for about 0.2 percent of all of their production so yes it's made from orange pulp and other less damaging yarns but really it's still H&M are still not a green brand and if they continue to produce the amount of product that they are they never will be but I completely understand that for a lot of people H&M is accessible Mm -hmm. and it's affordable and I would say that if that is the only option for you putting your money towards their greener line is definitely more impactful Mm -hmm. than supporting their non-green line because it's showing to them what the consumer wants mm. and what what there's a demand for but there are so many alternative options now I, I think supporting 
more ethical and sustainable fashion has never been easier and we need to be putting our money and time into that if we can and how can someone really do that i mean is it look i mean obviously if they follow you they're going to get great insights and hints about where to um, look for uh, more ethical fashion brands and where they can buy and initiatives that maybe they can be a part of or get involved in um but what else is a really practical thing if someone's thinking right okay well i've got a wardrobe full of I don't know, 80% fast fashion. What can somebody do today mm. to contribute in a really meaningful way? So first of all, I have a lot of fast fashion in my wardrobe as well. Look after it, make the most of it. Start by organising your wardrobe so you can actually see everything that's in it and so you can organise it in such a way that makes you actually wear a lot of, all of your clothes because we actually wear, I think it's something like only 20% of our wardrobes or something. Uh, Pareto's law. Yeah, it's, that's the, it's that thing, right? Yeah, so um, Pareto's law is uh, use 20% of everything that you have and 80% goes off unused or something. So it will be, it, I think yeah. it's the same for our wardrobes. So use what you already have, celebrate it, love it, organise it, mend it when it breaks, mm. upcycle it when something's, you know, irreplaceable. So for example, if your socks have, are all holy, holy, holy and holy, um use them as rags that kind of thing and then if you i think another really great thing to do this is kind of my second piece of advice would be to swap clothes with a friend Mm. uh and if you if you can so much for me about solving issues related to the climate um are to do with community Mm. so if you can get together with your community would be at your school your workplace your college um, or just your town hall to host a swap shop where people come along and can swap clothes and make them as inclusive as possible. That is absolutely amazing. I have a Facebook group called the Slow Fashion Exchange, and on there people are constantly advertising and from around the world um, where they live and if anyone would like to host a swap shop. So that's a really good thing to do. So swap with a friend, swap with your community. And that link, listeners, will obviously be in the show notes. Thank you. And then after that, I would say shop secondhand. So I'm really lucky I live in London. I have great access to charity shops Mm -hmm. and vintage stores. But there are also amazing places that you can invest in secondhand online, like eBay and Depop. Mm -hmm. Depop is so user-friendly. It's basically like being on Instagram. Um, So those are really good ways um, of, of shopping secondhand. If you're someone with with a, a taste for, for designer wear something like vestiaire mm. collective is incredible i got my shoes for my wedding from there which i am obsessed with and trini woodall is uh selling some of her stuff on there is so she? Want, oh my yeah. gosh her instagram I just know. makes my life um and then there should also we should also give a big mention to renting because renting mm. is really taking off this year there was a whole piece two-page piece about it in the sunday times style magazine just recently i um obsessed with her that's h-u-r-r their website's her collective um they have such an incredible selection of product on their site and you can rent a piece of clothing from really cool brands like Ganny, that kind of mm. brand really really cool um for a couple of days it's great for if you have a wedding or if you have an event where you would usually only wear something once you can mm. just rent something and there are so many rental websites popping up it's insane there are so many because my wardrobe's <coughs> back and that's now rental isn't it? my wardrobe's rental by rotation is rental um higher street is a high 
uh, is a high street rental system. Um, there's also another one called On Loan. And there are so many. What I would suggest is looking for ones that are peer-to-peer. So these are ones where people like me and you mm. put our clothes up there and then we swap with each other. The problem with kind of um, big uh, non-peer-to-peer ones is that they'll buy stock. Right. Um, so for example, H&M actually are looking into doing renting. I think they might have trialed it. And the reason why that is potentially problematic is because they are what are they going to do with those clothes when they finish with them because they're just going to create more stock Mm. to to rent um so that's definitely something to look out for i hope those tips were helpful Mm. and i think when i was watching the documentary last night uh, listeners beforehand i was saying to venetia i just i haven't sworn out loud (laughs) as much doing anything like not even point break <laughs> like I was genuinely and you mentioned earlier the the is it Rana Plaza um collapse yeah so this is a building um of workers that you might call a sweatshop and the workers have been saying to the people who own the building or who were overseeing them there are big cracks in the walls and it doesn't seem that it's going to be safe and they were ordered to go back and work and it collapsed And it showed some of the devastation. And then it mentioned the number of people who were killed in there. And it was over a thousand people. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? And I, I remember just like literally just going, what the f... And just thinking, how was that not front page news? Yeah, I didn't hear about it at the time afterwards. Um, if you're really interested in this actually as well and you're more of a book person I'm reading a book at the moment called Fashionopolis by Dana Thomas which I'd really recommend and she goes into the Rana Plaza collapse at length Um, but also like a lot of these factories are actually not because it feels very far away for Mm -hmm. us right but some of the um, kind of fast fashion retailers that I mentioned earlier that are doing super well the likes of Boohoo PLC um, they are actually producing their clothing in the UK and there were reports just in 2019 saying that the people working there are not getting treated right they're being shouted at they're being abused they're being especially women are being called horrible names and Mm -hmm. For me, that's really real because, you know, it's in Sheffield or whatever, like yeah. it, or Manchester. It's just a couple of hours away. Um, yeah, it's 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 a really interesting one. I do still feel like fashion is not the, the issues of fashion and fast fashion and ethical fashion are not front page news mm. in the way that they should be. Things are definitely changing. Um, but I, I can't believe I didn't hear about Rana Plaza mm. at the time either. And I think as well, when I was watching it, I mean, truth be told, afterwards I watched an episode of Shit's Creek as a bit of a palate cleanser. Because I just, I, I'm not very, I've never been able to watch Crime Watch. The, like, real, horrible real things are harder than Freddy Krueger with, you know, all horror stories. Um, I think what I, when I went to sleep last night, I was thinking, I really hope that because you've done a bit more research into this, because it's actually, well, I say a bit more research into this, you've interviewed a lot of people about it. It's obviously something you're incredibly interested in. I went to bed thinking, I can't see what the answer is. And so I was hoping in our conversation that you would, from your position, hopefully have, and that's probably the right word, have some hope about what the future could look like in terms of fashion mm. and how we're, and that people don't get treated like that and that those lives aren't, expand you know just lost for the sake of Mm. yeah so I I should say that I'm really grateful for the 
kind of giants who have been doing this work for a really really long time probably about a decade or more that people have been looking into this amazing women uh, like Livia Firth and Lucy mm. Siegel and Orsolo de Castro some really amazing activists and writers and documentary makers I'm just kind of like a little 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 person on their shoulder at the moment so I'm really grateful for them I I do feel positive because it's actually been kind of stated by sciencey people that the circular industry is going to take over by 2025 which is unbelievably exciting so that is things like uh depop and renting mm-hmm. thing doing fashion in a more circular way and it's also there are so many incredible fashion startups and brands that are making doing inventing actually Mm. inventing incredible ways to be more circular both in terms of the fabrics that they're using how they are offering recycling uh for their customer so for example i'm wearing a t-shirt right now um from a lovely london-based brand called sabina and i can't find it right now without completely undressing is it on this side okay perfect so on my little tag at the bottom left hand side of my Mm t-shirt there is a qr code and when i'm finished with this qr code i just with the t-shirt i just scan the qr code and they will recycle it they'll tell me how to recycle it and they'll recycle it for me and they'll put it back into production and there are also incredible ways with qr codes that people are using where you can you can scan your qr code and find out exactly where it was made what it's made from i think um a lot of brands are starting to think about how you could use a qr code to encourage people to learn how to style up that piece of clothing Mm. so all of this is really really exciting and i i'm very i I think that is something the circular industry is something to be really really excited about on the other end of the spectrum fast fashion is booming Mm. um and that is obviously very, very terrifying. However, from where I'm standing and from a conversation that I recently had with Lucy Siegel, how much cheaper can that product get? How much more of it can they produce before this thing kind of combusts? Mm. I I can't really see it going going any other way than combusting um but that's me until then we have a lot of work to do um i don't think shows like love island even though i think they are addictive and um there's a lot to be said for them in a good way i don't think they're helpful for for the for the fast fashion issue Mm. same with social media you know i think i i don't think Obviously, everyone's. I do believe that everyone's trying their best. I had that uh, podcast with Russell Brand and Brené Brown that I'd really recommend, where where they talk about doing your best. And I do agree. I think with Brené Brown, that I think everyone is doing their best. But I think if you're someone who is sharing your life on social media, you do have a certain responsibility. Mm-hmm. And personally, from the from the perspective of fast fashion, I just wish more influencers and fashion bloggers would connect the dots a bit and realize that what they are supporting is fundamentally damaging mm. and i had a meeting with a the ceo of pretty little thing i've actually not said that anywhere publicly i had this meeting with this pretty little thing ceo in december did you can i just ask did you go to their head office 
No, he's invited me. I've heard it. We met at a... Yeah, I watched a vlog from Molly May from Love Island that she did on her YouTube channel where she did a little tour of the the factory, which looks terrifying. Mm. Anyway, I met up with him and his really lovely assistant and we had a conversation about fast fashion and, and the business and where it's all going. And I don't know where I was going with this. Well, what was I talking about before? Sorry, I threw you off uh, track. Uh, fast fashion, is it going to get any better? Is there hope? Yeah. And the fact that we were even, he even asked to meet with me. I'm not, I'm not I won't, I, I was actually, the fact that he'd even asked to meet with me was pretty amazing because mm-hmm. every other CEO of a fast fashion brand that I've called out has trolled me or ignored me. So the fact that he even wanted to meet up mm. was kind of, brilliant yeah and but i say he said he was like what do you want me to do what should we do Uh, what's the what's the kind of best thing that we could do i was like well you could reduce the amount of product that you're that you're producing he was like if we do that the boohoo are just going to take over they're just going to take all of our customers Mm. you know obviously he's seeing it from a business perspective it's oh i don't know it's (laughs) Well, that's the thing. It's the bottom line. It's essentially, yeah. it, was, it was in that documentary and I was, it made me think. So in the documentary, it said we used to run on two seasons. So spring, summer, autumn, winter. And I remember being a kid, you'd go to the shops and every single Saturday, I'd go shopping with my mom and whatever we would see in Topshop or whatever, like Tammy Girl or whatever, for a period of months would be the same thing until the new season stuff came in. But it would be that you would go into Tammy Girl and it would probably, or wherever it might be, the House of Fraser or whatever it was back in the day, and it would be the same clothes for a few months in the racks. They might change up the display every now and again. They'd rotate what was in the window. But ultimately it was the same clothes until the new season came in. And then in the documentary, The True Cost, um, it's a 52-season year. Every single week there is a new batch of clothing. And it's one of those things that I guess has just crept up on me. I hadn't really realised yeah. that every single day I could probably walk down Oxford Street as I do a couple of times a week and I could probably see new things in every single shop. Yeah. Um, I My last fast fashion shopping experience was, I think it was October 2017 or 2018, 2017 or 2018, maybe 2017. I went into Zara... And you walk in, the floors are so slippery, mm. the music's so loud, and the product just seems to be running out. And if you ask, I, thought, I remember asking a sales assistant for a particular size. That was a bad idea. Bad idea, they're never <laughs> going to help you. And if yeah. it's not on the rails, it's probably not there. And there's just so much pressure to buy because mm. it's going to sell out and mm. you want to have that latest look. I got home and I tried on all these clothes and they just didn't make me feel good. So- mm. Something had changed. And just to tie this up to what I was saying about Pretty Little Thing... I think one of the reasons why we had this meeting is because I said, look, I've got a community of people who really care about this. You've got a community of people who really care about your brand. Mm. What can we do to kind of educate your community and and, and learn a bit about this? And he, he basically said that pretty little things are all, pretty little thing are all about community and they're all about making young women feel good it's all about feeling good and feeling good in what you wear and feeling empowered. Sorry, I'm just thinking about the name Pretty Little Thing it's and how so might problematic, that make a right? woman feel. Pretty Little Thing <sighs> is the most problematic name. It's so problematic for so many reasons. 
and I, you know, I say this as a 30 year old, but I personally do not think that overconsumption of fast fashion makes us feel empowered and makes us feel good. Mm. I don't think that having more stuff, accumulating more stuff makes us feel good. But I think it comes back to that sort of thing about I was talking about like the 80s going shopping in the 80s. Like my parents, I'm sure like a lot of people's parents bought a home, not that there were holes in, but they bought a home with rooms that needed doing up or they, whereas I feel like fast forward where we are now 40 years and everything has to sort of be perfect and ready to go and you, there can't be any holes in anything. Yeah, Not so just true. meaning holes in socks, but um, like if you got a Barbie for Christmas as a kid when I was little, you, you played with that Barbie in the outfit it came in and if that box also had like another outfit, that was what you played with. Whereas now it's about, right, I've got that, now I need all of these other things. So, mm. and I say sometimes to my brother, I sometimes feel like we're little piglets suckling at the teat of consumerism and we don't realise we're doing it. And then I think, God, am I sounding like a worthy pinhead by saying that? That's what I always worry about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I do think, I, when I, I, I must admit, as I'm sure you do, you said you used to scroll ASOS. That's probably one of my most viewed apps. Oh my gosh, it's like, I, I still crave it to this day. <laughs> you know, this is so, I'm someone who's rallying against this stuff. Whenever I'm feeling a bit low mm. or I'm feeling like I want to be distracted or I'm procrastinating, my brain still tells me to log on to ASOS and to start scrolling yeah. and to start curating this incredible saved items. I still yeah. do that yeah. to this day. I don't weirdly, I don't think it really leaves you. I think our brains <laughs> have probably been rewired. But there are, what I've learned is to replace those cravings mm. with other things like plants. scrolling through, <laughs> like plants. <laughs> exactly. The thing is, we this whole thing is suckling at the teat of consumerism we it's human nature to want new stuff which and is to a want, big oinking it is it's thing. very big and oinking but um it's human nature to want new stuff and it's it's okay to want the doom, dopamine hit of something new but that's the thing i feel like because every time i listen to a marketeer and they talk about the psychology that they used to get people to buy it isn't necessary it isn't normal human nature to want new i think we've been brainwashed yeah totally brainwashed i do because not that there used to be an honor in wearing the same jeans all the time or having the same jacket but they're definitely it wasn't frowned on whereas now it's um having newness uh having a designer label having this that or the other implies a status and it never used to necessarily mean that back in the day so i keep doing that as if i'm talking about 30 40 years ago but i do feel like that's a big shift of this thing of wanting to look perfect and done like rich people and that now just becoming an everybody thing yeah because fast fashion's made it accessible mm. which in the on the one hand is kind of amazing but it's just got completely out of hand i just think it would be how amazing would it be to see Love Island step forward and say we're not going to do our fast fashion collaboration with Eyesore at first in fact <laughs> all the contestants are going to wear clothes that they've already got and they're going to swap with each other and but I, you know, I do, I do I do feel hopeful I mean sometimes I get lost in those kind of social media influencers who have been on Love Island and various other fast fashion shows and I'm like oh my gosh I'm in the biggest echo chamber or the smallest echo chamber there's still so much work to do mm. but then I see 
incredible influencers like Megan J. Crab, who's Body mm-hmm. Posy Panda mm-hmm. on Instagram, who I really look up to in so many ways. She did a post the other day talking about how all of her clothes were old, how she's dressing sustainably. Another amazing beauty uh, blogger who and vlogger who I'm sure you've come across, Fleur de Force. Yeah. She's amazing. And she's spent the past kind of six months completely changing her habits. And these are really influential mm. bloggers and Instagrammers and I think that's so cool and hopefully celebrating what you already have, celebrating having a bit less is going to be the new trend. Yeah. I'm kind of hoping that Kim Kardashian's minimalism, <laughs> muted tones is going to is going to eventually lead that way. I know that she tweeted the other day that climate change is real, which is a great step. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it might take the Kardashians to say, "Hey, you know what, guys? We're not buying any new clothes." For it to really change. I don't know, we'll see. Benicia, you have my permission. If you ever see me in flesh-coloured cycling shorts <laughs> in central London, you have my permission to, I don't know, sit me down, have a word and they lock are, me somewhere. They are the worst, aren't they? <laughs> I do see some quite cool girls, actually, and, like, I do think some girls can pull off the, in the black ones. Yeah. But oh, the yeah. nude ones, I'm not so the no. not so clean on. No, it's but yeah, it's but yeah. No, I'm the same. If you, if I do the same, please do, please sit me down and say, you know what, love, get back the, in your this cargo is a bargain. pants. This, this, this is a bargain. This is a bond that we now have. <laughs> Done. Um, so yeah, so I I'm I'm pleased that from your perspective, and you have spoken to people on your podcast like Livia Firth and Katie Siegel, who have sorry Lucy Siegel. Lucy Siegel, sorry. Um, who have really um, spent a lot of time and really are making strides and have really exposed a lot of this. Mm. So for you to sit here and tell me that actually there is some hope is really good because I think if you are coming at this for the first time and you're not necessarily aware of it, you've heard of fast fashion, but you don't actually realise that potentially a shop that you frequent quite regularly um, has these huge buildings full of people creating what is it a hundred items of clothing a minute yeah it's just it's something crazy like that it's the disconnect between the nice shop and the nice you know and then like the brown paper bag that they now put it in to be eco-friendly yeah and actually the reality of how it's made it's really quite nice to to hear from you that there is hope but i talked about being plinky plonky and sounding like a worthy pinhead and so i did want to talk about veganism (laughs) (laughs) this is why i always think that i'm sounding worthy and like a knob basically because i talk about veganism and all this other stuff but yes let's chat about it well why do you think it makes you sound like a knob oh i just why i'm very i'm high i'm probably one of i'm highly self-critical i know we all are but i really in my brain is just not always at the nicest place to be because I nitpick every single part of myself and I'm aware that I talk about the things that I talk about like buying slow fat what you know encouraging people to change their fashion habits to be slower and maybe go vegan and eat more plant-based food and potentially try and create Mm. less waste and say no to plastic i say this all as a white privileged woman who lives in woman Mm. who lives in london with all this access and it does make me feel a little bit nervous because of course i can do all this stuff like Mm. this is partly my job well this is my job now and it's hard not to feel like you're sounding a bit worthy when you talk about things like veganism and i'm i i (laughs) 
<laughs> I was um I did I wrote an article for Radio One that they put on their Facebook page last night and the comments it was about veganism and kind of eating in a more planet friendly way for 2020 and the comments I think there were about 300 comments from people bashing veganism and why it's a terrible solution to the climate crisis and I just couldn't believe what I was seeing I was like oh my goodness I because I don't watch things like um I don't know, I don't watch daytime telly because I don't have a telly. Um, and I don't think I realise how divisive the veganism conversation still mm. is. I'm just like, oh, great, I, you know, this is what I do. And I, I think a lot, I have quite a, a, a quite a, a lot of followers who are plant-based or vegan and I interview amazing vegans. And so I think it's kind of all really positive and really lovely, but actually it's so divisive, mm. uh, which was kind of, I think it's really important for me to connect with that. And that's why yeah. I do occasionally watch Piers Morgan throwing up his vegan greg's sausage roll on youtube because <laughs> i think it is important to, to connect with that stuff but it is so divisive so why do you think it um is divisive what's the what are the, when you read those comments like what do they like reading past the comments what have they got an issue with well i guess i can speak through lived experience I haven't been vegan all my life I've only been vegan for five years and before that when I met vegans or I heard about veganism I felt scared Mm. I felt oh am I doing this wrong am I living a part of my life wrong am I not doing something in this in this right way Mm. what am I so for me it was about oh I I, I don't I don't think I'm doing this right or actually I felt like that sounded veganism sounded very extreme so Mm. I didn't want to get involved at all a lot of these comments were you know, a lot of it is what well, I love my big fat juicy steak and I don't want to forgo that at all. Um, there are, you know, obvious arguments against uh, veganism as for, as, a, as a way to benefit the planet. Um, there's a lot, there are a lot of counter arguments um, to the idea of veganism, but I kind of agree with the science, which is telling us that a diet that is focused mainly on plants is the best thing we can do for the planet and really i i should also say that i'm not talking i don't talk about veganism in terms of people living i talk about it in terms of people kind of living in the global north and people from developed countries Mm. where who have actually because it's us with the highest Uh, carbon footprint Mm. it's people in developed countries with the highest carbon footprint so when i talk about you know it would be great if more people ate more plants it's kind of directed at the people with the highest carbon footprint Mm. people like us um yeah i don't other reasons why it's so divisive what made you decide because you said you'd um heard people talk about it but what was the was there a a moment or a stat or something that just made you think I need to do this and no, was it easy to do no uh I saw with all of these things I actually think there's it's often a few things that kind of trigger the bigger decisions so it just kept popping up um lots of vegan cafes started opening I started meeting more vegans it was at the time where kind of um people like deliciously Ella started blogging and plant-based food was really at the forefront of 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 our plates mm. and it just kept popping up and then I I watched a couple of documentaries and I learned it was really the animal agricultural side of it that really Mm. impacted me it was learning about the you know the impact on animal welfare well animal welfare as as uh, in general and the amount of animals that were dying just for our few moments of pleasure and then also the impact on the planet that was kind of what got me and I guess that was documentaries um like 
blackfish like cowspiracy um and i know some vegan documentaries are really um they can be really problematic mm. but um the reason why i still talk about them is because they often just get people eating more plants which is amazing mm. so i did it actually over a period of five months because i wasn't necessarily entirely sure i wanted to go all the way um i thought maybe i just wanted to be vegetarian i'd come from an omnivorous diet i didn't know how my body was going to react and so i decided to do it really really gradually so i did it over a period of five months but i just kept with everything that i kind of stopped eating so i started with chicken and eggs and then dairy as i kind of reduced i kept feeling really good and it just really suited my body and i just i guess i became more connected to the ideas of veganism because as a female who spent a lot of her late mid to late teens and early 20s dieting and looking at food as how it was going to make me i would look at my food and think how is that going to make me look suddenly going vegan it wasn't about how it was going to make me look it was about saving the lives of animals reducing and reducing my carbon footprint Mm. you know saving water saving land and it wasn't about me which Mm. was the most powerful thing i just found it super empowering and i think that's kind of why i stuck to it and here we are that's so powerful so five years in yeah and i think yeah it has a wrap of being quite hard like you have to be quite organized to be a vegan yeah I think I should I should also say that I love cooking Mm. which is really really helpful but I think actually going vegan got me more into cooking because it meant that I kind of you know had to cook more had Mm. to learn more and and figure out ways to be to be vegan in the kitchen and I was having people round a lot more so I was hosting brunches and I was having friends around for dinner just because I wanted them to kind of understand how I was eating and how it was delicious. Mm. Cause this was at the time where it wasn't as accessible as it is now. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think I, I often get asked if I, if I would go back and I really wouldn't, unless I had, you know, some serious health scare where a doctor advised mm. me that I should stop eating plant-based. But, um, for the time being, yeah, I'm, I mean, I've, as far as I'm concerned for now, forever, like this mm. is it. I just love it. And without, um, you can obviously tell me to mind my own business, but you talked about looking at uh, food and how it would make you look. Yeah. And you've spoken before about disordered eating in your teens. Do you feel as though uh, uh, veganism has helped you reframe the relationship as a whole with food as well, so you no longer feel that sort of sense of... And the reason I ask is because I've done a couple of podcasts recently with Alex Light, and I also did a standalone about toxic relationships with food. Yeah, yeah. You You should go on her podcast. She's... I love Alex. I've met her actually. She was lovely. I think I mm. met her about a year ago. She's really, really great. I love her Instagram. Um, so, and this is what, so this is the thing. This is kind of what bugs me about Veganuary. Because Veganuary taking place, even though I support them 100%, I think it's incredible. But Veganuary taking place in January is problematic because it gets wrapped into the New Year, New Me mm. diet culture. And v- if you are vegan, if you define yourself define yourself as a vegan, you are an activist for the animals. The animals don't care about your body mass index. They don't care about the amount of macronutrients and micronutrients that you're taking in. And that is why I find it kind of frustrating when veganism does get wrapped up into diet culture. And very interestingly, some of the most prominent vegans who shared their lifestyles online various youtubers like tim sheaf and bonnie rebecca they went 
they've actually they I think they were vegan for about five years and they stopped being vegan and they kind of came out as the fact that as and also raw varna was another one uh, these kind of very prominent vegans decided not to be last year it was a big it kind of felt like a trend everyone was saying I'm not vegan anymore <laughs> and they'd get like a million views on their YouTube video or whatever <laughs> and I think the reason why that happened is because they well i obviously can't speak on their behalf but they all they did a lot of raw vegan food which is you know just eating melon until four o'clock and then you have a salad or whatever with some steamed sweet potato and it came i guess it came from quite a disordered Mm, place mm. luckily for me when i when i decided to go vegan it wasn't for diet because the my why was bigger than that i was Mm. going my reason for it was much bigger than it wasn't about how i looked and that's Mm. why i stuck to it and that's why it's been such release but that is not to say that i now look at myself in the mirror and think god you are banging like absolutely not i still have the same um kind of i guess quite toxic relationship with how i view my body and myself Mm. but it's definitely improved Mm. um and that's again something that i found really powerful um with switching my fashion habits is you know of course I still want the latest trends and the latest looks and it would be so fabulous to look like my favorite fashion blogger all of the time but actually there's something really powerful in saying you know what I'm just not gonna have that Mm. and or I'm gonna look at renting something I think for me slowing my habits for fashion have improved my mental health in the same way that going vegan improved my Mm. mental health too Well, which brings us on to you, because you also have done, um, you've talked a lot about meditation and also doing digital detoxes. And before we come to the end of our time together, I would really like to talk about that. Because um, meditation, I think, is is an absolute game changer, particularly if you are prone to depression or periods of anxiety. Mm. Um, so, but you did a course, is that right, at the London Meditation Centre? Yes, I did. You've done your research. <laughs> um, that's what this scribble. This so good. <laughs> I'm so impressed. Um, what was it? What was the trig? The trigger? What made you pull the trigger? Which is probably a weird analogy to use. Um, uh, in terms of actually doing a course in meditation, had you been doing it sort of? yeah yeah I started meditation again was another thing that kept popping up um I I love a I love a a wellness trend (laughs) and um it kept popping up and so I started using apps which I think are a really good great gateway into meditation but I tried them and they didn't really work for me and I was really fortunate to kind of stumble across the London Meditation Centre who are based in London and New York they're run by it's run by an incredible couple called Gillian Lavender and Michael Miller and the course you go along for kind of an intro to the course which is free and if if it tickles your pickle you can do the course which just takes place over a weekend and it changed my life it really really did it changed my life forever and it's it's the it's the one very constant non-negotiable thing in my life you know every morning I will meditate without fail and my husband recently did the course and I think it's been he's been meditating for a long time but he recently did the same Vedic course because it's Vedic meditation what does Vedic meditation mean oh Vedic meditation I think You'd have to ask Jillian or Michael or a Vedic med- proper Vedic med- Vedic specialist for that. I can't think of the 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 kind of definition of it, but it basically involves meditating. I they would describe it probably as a modern meditator, a, a meditation form of meditation for you know 
someone living in a in the western world so for for us it involves sitting when we first meet when we first wake for 20 minutes in the morning Mm. ideally we do it in the afternoon as well but that doesn't seem to fit into our schedule Mm. um and you focus on a mantra so instead of often you know when you when you're told to meditate you're told to just forget about anything empty your mind empty your mind which is the most impossible thing to do so it gets you to focus on a mantra that has been specifically chosen for you by Mm. your meditation teacher and you just sit and you focus on the mantra and thoughts come and go and you just have this kind of lovely bubble of 20 minutes sometimes it's not so lovely but it's the one constant and um yeah it's absolutely changed my life it's 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 definitely improved aspects of my life i can't imagine not meditating now um and it's such a simple thing and it's free mm, it's free mm. to do i mean obviously you have to pay for the course mm. they they actually um they're really wonderful about it they they charge you based on your income which is just you just have to be honest about mm. um but then it's free for mm. life how amazing is that something that's so i've definitely found it and i've said before in this podcast i feel like um, yeah what kind of meditation do you do well i started off with headspace that's how I started too. Yeah, and I, I, you know, mainly headspace. And then every now and again, if I don't feel like I, I want the app, I will go and sit in the park on a bench and just count or just count my breaths. But I know that because I can get very... Get a, get a lot of pent up energy and feel like oh, I want to take over the world now. You know, I, I, I want Tom Cruise on my podcast, and it just it sort of sits in me, and it's it becomes almost like uncomfortable, and I become highly sort of fraught, basically. So what I'm trying to say is, in a sort of roundabout way, is my my sort of energy and where I am. I'm at a ten. So if somebody looks at me the wrong way, I might react in a 10 way as opposed to just being like morning <laughs> I might think oh, do they look at my shoes funny are my shoes ugly I, it can take me down quite an, into a negative headspace so for me what meditation does is it means that whenever I'm rising I can bring myself back down mm. or if I wake up in the morning and do it I can bring myself you know to a really lovely calm space and I've also recently been using Wim Hof Oh, oh he's amazing, isn't he? He's got a brilliant breathing meditation. Well, it's a breathing exercise. I don't know whether it's a meditation, but um, but I sit and do that on a bench. And like, oh. So I'm there on a bench and people are walking their dogs and I'm like... <laughs> I just don't care. The breath is so, so powerful. Yeah. Michael, who is my meditation teacher from the London Meditation Centre, he always, when he talks about meditation, he always says it's all about de-exciting the body. You want to de-excite, de-excite everything. And in a time when, you know, often we're, if we're city dwellers, we're waking up, we're doing a high intensity interval training class, then we're pushing ourselves through work, then we're making sure that we see our friends all the time and making sure that we reply to all the emails that we have to do. And we're constantly striving to do more and we're putting ourselves under Mm. so much pressure. And we're always talking about how excited we are. Suddenly, when I found this incredible man and and woman and Gillian and Michael, and they were talking about de-exciting, something just sparked in me. And I think, you know, I have a lot of respect for people who are absolutely killing it in whatever they do. And they always seem to be doing, 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 doing. 
but that's for someone of my temperament, someone who suffers with anxiety, doing, 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 doing is only going to run me to the ground. I have to be de-exciting mm. every single day, have to be constantly working on my mental health and making sure that I'm pulling myself down mm. because otherwise I just, just yeah. pop. That was a great tongue pop. You, um, you said something actually on one of your podcasts that really, it's almost like stabbed me in the heart because I thought, oh, I so know what you mean. Because I've always thought that looking busy, being busy, going after things, having really big goals and really pushing for them and almost having that kind of um, sportsman, you know that, you know what I mean? Like high performance sportsman attitude of, I will not be beaten, I'm going to get there. I thought that was, for for me, that was really defining. Emma's a go-getter. Emma, if she sets her mind to something, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I really did that last year. And I was like, right, I'm going to do a daily podcast in May. I'm going to get these people. Daily. Yeah, I did daily podcast in May and December because I didn't actually learn my own lesson. Oh Although they're great, gosh. they're great. don't get me wrong, but it obviously is, it's putting a lot of work on at a very busy time. Um, and then I had a health scare and I sort of had a chance to recalibrate. And, and then I had surgery, cosmetic, so nothing. And I had six weeks where I had to sort of take easy. And my listeners know I did a podcast about it. I had a breast reduction. So I um, couldn't be pushing and out and talk. And, and I thought, everything's going everything's gonna to go to shit. Everything's going to fall around my ears. And actually, it was a brilliant lesson. I'm so glad I had the surgery for a couple of reasons. But mainly, well, one of the main is that it made me realize that you don't have to be at a 10 to make things happen. No. Sometimes you actually have to take a step back. And this is what you said on one of your podcasts. Sometimes if you stop, things come to you that wouldn't, couldn't get into your space before. Yeah, I, I found that. That's just through experience. I found like I was pushing, 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 pushing. And then as soon as I kind of stopped pushing and just started letting things happen a little bit more, everything seemed to go much better. Mm. And I never, ever want to get to a place in my life where I am too busy to prioritise myself, my husband, my friends and my family, mm. ever. It's just, to me, it's absolutely not work, worth it. Otherwise, what are you working for? Mm. The most important thing for me and my mental health is to prioritise community and the people around me and to make sure that I'm seeing all the people I love and I'm spending proper quality time with them. Otherwise, there is literally no point, mm. which lead, leads us quite nicely on to, because I know you were going to ask about this, turning my phone off and Mm. switching off on weekends Mm. so this is something that max my husband and i have been doing for about eight months now and on weekends we are offline we both uh we both spend a lot of time on social media for our work and on weekends we are not there and it has changed the game for us i honestly do not know how i was doing what i do before doing make doing participating in this practice because I just I'm so overwhelmed by how many ways there are to get in touch with someone now you know you have whatsapp you have text you have emails you have twitter you have facebook you have dms you have instagram comments there are calls we haven't even mentioned calls phone calls (laughs) I miss phone calls facetime voice notes Mm. there are so many ways to get in touch with someone and it is absolutely overwhelming and I think in life it's very important to set boundaries Mm. and for us the boundary of switching off on weekends are not 
being able to or not being in a position to reply to emails on weekends or the alleviating the pressure of posting on social media on weekends has absolutely changed the game i do i never want to be in a place on social media where i'm just striving to get more followers and to mm. beat the algorithm and it's so hard for that not to enter your mind when that is your work mm. but i a way of alleviating that pressure for me is to turn off twice a week and i think it's yeah i just think it's really important it's social media in our screens isn't where real life happens no so so you still use your phone but you disable your social apps so ideally in fact i would say most of the time our phones are completely off obviously they have to come on sometimes Mm. um so for example this weekend we are working in edinburgh um we can still we still work we'll do events and that kind of thing we just won't post about it Mm. and i'm thinking in advance now i will need my train ticket uh, receipt to get there which means that i'll if i'm prepared i'll print that off um or to get back from say on the sunday i'll print that off but if not i'll turn my phone on to show that mm-hmm. ticket mm-hmm. Um, or I'll put it on airplane mode but really it's absolutely no social media and my phone is off as much as it possibly can be i'll turn it on occasionally to call my mum but my mm-hmm. friends know that if they want to meet up on weekends we need to arrange that before the weekend it, it's it's a really wonderful practice because it takes you back to how we grew up yeah. you know when we were growing up you'd arrange to meet with a friend and you'd turn up and you'd be there you yeah. wouldn't bail at the last minute and say oh sorry i'm just running you know two minutes eight or you know what i'm not really you know you have mm. to stick to your plan mm. which is really really lovely um and then this kind of extends to how we how we use our screens and our phones throughout the week um, and i guess this is even more important for us because we both do social media yeah, stuff yeah. but during the week we try and turn our phones off probably at about 8 p.m and they don't come on in the morning until we've meditated done a little bit of exercise maybe had a cup of tea just had a chance to live without our screens because they do suck you in they really do i'm feeling very bad right now no don't feel bad don't feel bad it's all we you know i didn't this doesn't these are all little small Mm. changes so if you're someone who who listens to this who thinks god turning my phone off on a weekend that sounds really really intense just try not to sleep with your phone in your bedroom could you leave it outside the room Mm. could you leave it in the kitchen or something leave your alarm in there or could you buy an old school alarm clock to wake Mm. you up there are little things that we can be doing you know if you go for a walk around if you just go for a walk you need to get out the house leave your phone at home um if you're worried about safety you could buy an old school phone um if you're going out for dinner with your friends either leave your phone at the home or leave it in your bag don't put it on the table because you don't want the focus to be around your phone there are lots of little Mm. things that we can do maybe put your phone on black and white mode Mm. make it less appealing don't have a picture of your dog on on your on your screensaver (laughs) just to try and detach a little bit um and also from a planet perspective you know it's great for mental health but from a planet perspective as well um devices and tech are very very intensive on the planet Mm. so if we could be turning them off more and leaving them away more and not streaming so much it's only going to a better improve it's only going to improve planetary health too what's the impact I mean, this sounds like a dumb question what is the um, impact on the planet from using mobile devices apparently using your phone for an hour a day oh don't finish for a year is the equivalent to flying from london to new york apparently 
I had that one of my guests said that on a podcast my friend Alex said that on one of my podcasts um they are very very intensive on the planet but the actually and I talked about this once on Instagram and it didn't go down well at all um because obviously I am the ultimate hypocrite because I am a hashtag content creator so who am I to be able to be to be in a position to talking about um phones and and phone usage but porn in, in internet porn streaming is really really that's the kind of thing that's the most damaging um yeah it's actually a whole conversation everything to do with tech and tech waste and phone usage but it is it's a lot it's a lot i heard something about there's a type of metal in every single device that's very hard to manufacture which is what and it's massively expensive but you just i i obviously i don't know my facts because you can tell i'm so there's something in every single phone i'm like i think uh, to, to New York, New York. But this is a thing, and I it is, and I always I always talk about this on the podcast about critical thinking. You can read a clickbait headline and think you know the facts about something, which is why I'm so glad you were so kind to walk me through fast fashion because it's so easy to think that you're informed because you've read some tweets or seen a headline. You think you've got the picture when actually you really, really haven't. And absolutely. Uh, actually since because i really i'm really trying to be as well informed as i possibly can be on anything to do with the climate at the moment and what i'm learning is that there are no black and white answers Mm. like everything is nuanced there isn't a black and white answer for for anything whether it's food whether it's fashion Mm. whether it's well-being whether it's tech whatever it is these are really big topics and um yeah i've just learned that nothing's black or white which is really frustrating actually because you just want to know the answer to everything but actually they're they're all big topics and yeah the more i research the more i the more confused i am well well confusion maybe now but it's good things will become clearer and you've definitely really helped me um with the fast fashion so thank you so much i really appreciate that and also veganism and i could talk to you for a whole other episode about health and healthiness and like even here I've written I spent a lot of time fighting and when I stopped everything came to me um there's so much more I think we could talk about about maybe wellness but on another episode of the show because I've already taken up enough of your time um listeners the links to Venetia everything that we've discussed the slow fashion exchange Facebook group and uh, obviously your excellent podcast get excited people season six is on the way <laughs> um will be in the show notes but for now thank you so much for having me it's such a pleasure thank you for coming around and i'm so honored and flattered to be in your podcast so thank you you're welcome anytime mm. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you would like to take the conversation further, perhaps you want to get in touch with me, email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com or slide into my DMs on social media where I'm at Emma Guns. It would be so, so good to hear from you. If you want to talk to me, but also thousands of other listeners to this podcast, then why not join the Facebook group? The link to join is in the show notes and the show notes can be found wherever it is that you are listening and downloading this podcast. It's also where you'll find all of the links from today's show with Venetia Lamana. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one.